0: Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset and I recently finished reading this book called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And this is a book that to be honest with you, you really don't need to read it because its title says it totally and your suspicions are correct. The internet is not very good for our brains. In fact, there's there's five different areas of human mental faculty, of intellectual faculty, that the internet has a deleterious effect on that is kind of tantamount to like a, a heroin addiction, if you're thinking about really chronic internet use and addiction. And I'm gonna make the case in this video blog, it sounds like a a quite strange premise, it may even sound a bit oxymoronic, but I'm gonna make the case here that yes, the internet is making everybody stupider, but actually, that's a good thing. I'll explain why. I decided to do the remainder of this book review as a podcast. So perhaps you will want to listen to this via my podcast feed on castbox.fm. And Castbox is a free app website. Podcast service where you can stream or download and listen to podcasts right on your smartphone. I searched high and low for a really great podcast hosting service that would just work really, really seamlessly for you so that my uh, voice and thoughts and ideas could be delivered via MP3 right into your inner ear. And I think that might be the best option. Okay, as I was saying in the booknook where I recorded that video wearing my cool white jacket, there's four different uh, negative effects that the internet has on our mind. Here's what they are. The internet has a pretty dire effect on our powers of attention. It cuts our attention span down from hours to the the length of the average youtube video practically which is 4 minutes and 20 seconds secondly the internet also has a dentro- is also detrimental to our capacity to think deeply and solve complicated problems or make good decisions the internet tries to deliver us the solutions to our problems as quickly as IP packets can traverse cyberspace, sometimes in as little as 1.5 seconds, the amount of time it takes to do a Google search. Thirdly, the internet is especially bad for our focus, our ability to think about one thing to the exclusion of everything else. The internet is bar none the most effective distraction technology ever it gives our brains the intermittent unpredictable serotonin hits that it craves in the past you could turn off your computer or shut your laptop down but now that the internet comes with you everywhere in your pocket beeping buzzing vibrating and ringing to incessantly demand your attention and fourthly the internet disrupts the formation of a long-term memory. The internet so overloads our short-term working memory that we're not able to properly process information into our long-term memory. Kind of like if you opened every software application on your computer while you were simultaneously trying to render a video, it wouldn't Really, work to uh, render the the video file to render all those pieces into a crystallized, complete video. Right? It wouldn't work. So this book, *The Shallows*, charts the course of human cognitive development that uh, parallels and perhaps follows the development of media technologies. Media technologies from Sumerian tablets to Facebook. Quote, For the last five centuries, ever since Gutenberg's printing press made book reading a popular pursuit, the linear literary mind has been at the center of art, science, and society. As supple as it is subtle, it's been the imaginative mind of the Renaissance, the rational mind of the Enlightenment, the inventive mind of the industrial revolution and even the subversive mind of modernism and it may soon be yesterday's mind calm focused and undistracted the linear mind is being pushed aside by a new kind of mind that wants and needs to take in and dole out information in short disjointed often overlapping bursts. The faster, the better. That doesn't sound very good, does it? Let's talk about distraction. A lot of leading technologists and public intellectuals are deeply concerned about what kind of civilization we'll have in coming decades If the general population continues to use this technology that so voraciously consumes our attention and has an effect on our minds similar to chronic heroin use, our civilizational collapse or apocalypse may not result from an errant asteroid destruction of the environment, unfriendly AI, or nuclear war. It may be from extremely potent distraction technology. Quote, The web provides a convenient and compelling supplement to personal memory. But when we start using the web as a substitute for personal memory, bypassing the inner processes of consolidation, we risk emptying our minds of their riches. And then he quotes the German philosopher Heidegger and I thought this was really I thought this was really deep The frenziedness of technology Heidegger wrote threatens to entrench itself everywhere It may be that we are now entering the final stage of that entrenchment We are welcoming the frenziedness into our souls And I think that's actually the line he used to end the book So Perhaps you remember this ridiculous movie, Swordfish, that came out some time ago. And you'll remember in the beginning of the movie, when the criminal boss recruits the the hacker, he tests his skills by having a girl give him a blowjob while he hacks into a mainframe. It's a pretty silly scene, but it's really a quite apt metaphor for what this distraction technology is doing to our brains while we're trying to get meaningful work done on the internet. You have, of course, experienced this. You get on the computer with the ostensible purpose of getting some important task done, yet get drawn down the rabbit hole of YouTube videos, enticing thumbnail images, and clickbaity links or headlines. Several hours later, you have 20 browser tabs open, you're frenetically jumping between windows, you can't seem to hold your attention on one thing for more than 30 seconds, and you haven't completed the original thing that you got on the computer to do. You've also surely had the experience of staying up late on your computer, tablet, or smartphone, surfing the web into the early morning hours. Finally, you got to sleep, but you definitely woke up on the wrong side of the bed and proceeded to have a really mediocre day being generally forgetful, unproductive, and in a bad mood. So you're probably thinking, yeah, Jonathan, I know that chronic internet use isn't very healthy for me, but the upsides are worth it. The The internet has profoundly improved the lives of many millions, if not billions, of people. And I agree with that to an extent. You know, myself, I have a very charmed life doing meaningful work that I really love, thanks entirely to the internet. But... And here's the question. Here's the question that we need to think about. Are we obligated to pay the steep biological cost for the convenience of our hybrid digital existence? If there were a way to enjoy heroin as much as you wanted, but experience none of its self-destructive effects on your mind and body or become a slave to addiction, Would you try it? I know I certainly would. So the good news is that you can enjoy and take advantage of the tremendous upside of the internet with none of the dire downside if you habituate this working memory exercise routine. Because the internet has such a destructive effect on your working memory and this is this is the routine that I that I recommend and that I try to follow myself. First component, mindfulness practice. Meditation is one of the best things you can do to counteract the negative effects of the internet. In meditation you sit there for 15, 20, 30 minutes or more and focus on one single non-stimulating thing. It's a long-term biohack for a stronger mind, so it won't make that much of a difference to you tomorrow. But after two years of meditation, you'll be a significantly better version of yourself. It makes you more impervious to distraction It improves your willpower by increasing synaptic connections in the area of the brain in charge of emotions and decision making. It balances your reward arousal system. Our brains get so stimulated by things like funny YouTube videos, Facebook likes on a photo we just uploaded, or porn that we aren't able to find happiness in simple things like a conversation with a friend or eating dinner with Family. And finally, meditation diminishes mind wandering, which makes you unhappy. It makes us all unhappy. Next component is dual and back. This software brain training game upgrades the RAM of your conscious mind by exercising your working memory. It's the one brain game that is demonstrated to have transfer effects to general intelligence outside of the brain game itself. It improves attentional control noticeably. In fact, it uh, requires persistent, laser-focused attention when you're playing the game. And I'll say that dual Doolinbeck makes you a robust gangster at life. That's a phrase I invented that I like. (laughs) In more scientific terms, (laughs) what I mean by that is that it reduces emotional reactivity, especially from Negative emotions. It makes you, uh, it makes you, a bit more of a uh, imagine a, a hedonistic Vulcan from Star Wars. You Remember the alien species in Star Wars. What am I saying? Star Trek. I'm sorry. Mea me, uh, mea culpa. Uh, if you recall the the emotionless the emotionless uh, creatures from from Star Trek, or they or they had their emotions. They they were not emotionless, but they had their emotions under uh, a very high level of control, and they made very rational, logical decisions about almost everything. Imagine you know a Vulcan that that uh, knows how to have a good time, and that's more of the kind of person that you can anticipate being if you used dual end back. Regularly. It's a neuroplasticity hack as well that improves the density of gray matter within 20 days of training. Yes. And uh, this is quantified in a 10 to 15 point gain in IQ that is consistent among long term practitioners. About five years ago, I tried unsuccessfully to start meditating. I just could not stand being utterly unstimulated for 20 minutes. My inner dialogue became extremely self-critical. But then, after I had some really great conversations with Dr. Mark Ashton Smith, who is a very charming cognitive psychologist who created what I think is the best uh, value commercial version of the dual Back game for iPhone and Android, after i chatted with him. You can listen to my podcast we did together. I took my dual end back training seriously for several months. And I found that after that training period, my mind could really focus. Uh, after, after I trained, I, I, I kind of trained my mind. I I developed those muscles of focus and that I could actually meditate. And now I meditate quite consistently. And it's one of the cornerstone habits that makes me one dangerous dude together a daily mindfulness practice and this mindfulness technology transforms your thoughts from like your think of your inner thoughts and your inner dialogue and these things will transform them from kind of like a flock of squabbling chickens into uh, phalanx of Roman legionaries. You know how if you watch movies where there's Roman legionaries that are fighting a battle, they have their they have their shields. They get in they get in a square or a rectangle, and they put their shields all together so the shields are tight tight together and uh, impervious impervious. And then they push forward towards their objective. And that's that's more of what your internal mind is going to be like. If, you can, uh, if you're willing to spend a couple of months doing a mindfulness training and mindfulness technology together. Next thing I'm going to mention, really important, is reading books. One of the points that The Shallows makes repeatedly is that the pastime of reading profoundly structures our mind. Reading is a mindfulness practice because if you're reading properly, you focus 100% of your attention on the book. If you're like multitasking while you're reading, you're you're doing it wrong. Like if you're if you're reading a novel and as you're you know reading about whatever the characters are doing in the novel, you're kind of thinking about. Uh, what your plans are tomorrow, or you're worrying about this or that, you're you're doing reading reading wrong. What you're actually supposed to do when you're reading is you're supposed to have your mind just 100% on the page, on the narrative, narrative and the dialogue that you're consuming at the moment. Secondly, reading fiction actually improves empathy because you have to place yourself. In the heads and experiences of the fictional characters. And a reading is kind of like carrying on a romance with the author. It's a way to think someone else's thoughts, to feel their feelings, and to occupy someone else's mind and you can acquire a measure of knowledge about any given topic tantamount to a college degree for free from the internet. I make $89 hourly thanks to my sophisticated web development skill set that I learned from watching tutorial videos on YouTube. But whenever you're trying to learn, some, learn anything on the internet, you're subject to boundless distractions. And studies have shown that reading comprehension is much higher when subjects read from old-fashioned books as opposed to web pages. So if you really want to master a subject, the internet can help a whole lot. You you can learn a whole lot. You can, you know, really make yourself a whole lot more valuable with your skill sets, but you need to read the books on the subjects. Personally, I usually read two books at a time, one that is a light, kind of entertaining reading, and one that is deep, dense, challenging material, usually a fiction title and a nonfiction title. Recently, I just finished Nassim Taleb's massive manifesto on risk, anti-fragile, and Graham Hancock's excellent historical fiction series, War God. Reading two books at a time, I avoid getting bored or kind of getting like intellectually fatigued with one of those books, and I end up finishing a whole lot more of the books that I start. As a young man, I was a voracious reader of old-fashioned books. Today, I do almost all of my reading using the Kindle app. I put my phone into airplane mode so I don't get as distracted by notifications while reading. And I try to read for 30 to 60 minutes daily and it really is a sublime pleasure. Okay, the next, uh, the next pillar of your working memory exercise regimen that I recommend really highly is a tool I use called Brain FM. This is an app that I use every day. It plays really cool algorithmic music optimized to improve focus and creativity. I use this every day when I'm doing my writing and often while I'm tackling a demanding web development task. Brain FM plays music in 30 minute one hour or two hour increments and has a countdown timer. This is great for time boxing crucial tasks that need to get done. If I have some crucial digital task, I put on Brain FM in the background and for 30 minutes, I'm not allowed to click on anything distracting or check notifications and BrainFM has a nearly instantaneous effect. After listening for 10 to 15 minutes, you'll find yourself in a productive state of focused, relaxed arousal. I'm, a, I'm embarrassed to admit that there will be some task that I'm procrastinating on doing, but often I put on BrainFM and on that I'll knock that task out in like 15 minutes. Before writing this very article, believe it or not, I was not uh, meditating on a mountaintop or practicing tantric cultivation or any mindfulness practice. To be honest, I checked email, and was watching some YouTube videos about absurd things happening in the world. And then I listened to a podcast while walking to my favorite cafe. So I was kind of, a, I, I I'd kind of primed myself poorly to write an article. Yet I sat down in my favorite cafe and I switched on Brain.fm and focused for two hours straight to write this. So it really is quite effective at transforming your state of mind into a a state of mind that can really get things done. There's a number of places on the internet where you can find free focus promoting algorithmic music tracks, but I paid full price for a lifetime Brain.fm membership because I knew that if I paid good money for it, I would actually use it. And the one to two hours of deep thought and true productivity that I get daily thanks to Brain.fm make it one of the best software investments I've ever made. So check that out. It The music it creates really is quite cool. In fact, I may add a little bit of that music to this podcast. The next hack for overcoming the internet's effect on your mind is smart drugs, of course. So chronic internet overuse is really tantamount to old age diseases of cognitive decline, like Alzheimer's. You know, you'll, uh, you'll hear uh, if you have old people in your life, uh, you'll hear them talking about how they feel their mind slipping away. And then sometimes you'll, uh, you'll talk to young people. And uh, the young people that you talk to will talk about how they're so distracted by the internet all the time. And they're, they're eerily similar, aren't they? So the pharmacological purpose and the effects demonstrated in the clinical trials of nootropics is treating and curing just such old-age diseases. Cognitive enhancers like modafinil improve your working memory and attentional control, improving your problem-solving abilities. The racetams, particularly oxiracetam, imbues a heightened degree of self-control for four to six hours. It's not very stimulating, but you just find yourself really focused on what you should be focused on while dosed on it. This is why I call it the discipline molecule. Pharmaceutical-grade nicotine stimulates the default network of the brain, which makes you more creative. And numerous nootropics have myriad effects on the mind via different neurobiological mechanisms. So the smart strategy is to cycle between different nootropics on a daily and weekly basis. Okay, next pillar of this working memory regimen is writing. The old fashioned way with ink and dead trees or word processing on your computer is pretty unmatched as an activity that requires you to think uh, methodically and deeply. Writing is like a hiking staff for learners on the path to mastery. Writing about a topic forces you to deeply internalize your understanding of it. Writing is deeply contemplative and it really requires that you wrestle with the thoughts, theories, and experiences in your head. Often, I'll have a certain view on something related to health, politics, sex, or whatever. But when I sit down and write about it, I'll find that thinking deeply about it I end up actually changing my mind and I try to write for one hour daily and so okay these things together that I just described and again you're going to want to check out the blog article where I have these because I have links to various things and it this is just one of these things that if you're if you're serious about you know overcoming and Uh, balancing out this bad effect that internet usage has on you, you're gonna want to check out this blog article. I call it the brain rehab protocol. If years of excessive internet use has robbed you of the capacity to think and concentrate deeply, this is the protocol you want to follow. First of all, start taking focus promoting smart drugs. They'll have an almost instantaneous effect on your ability to stay focused and productive. Second, you're gonna to wanna to download Dual Back Pro. It's not very fun like a video game, but it is stimulating and challenging. Do your Dual back training for in between 10 to 20 minutes daily while you're on the smart drugs. Combine those two things. Third, you're going to want to pick a task that you need to do that should take about 30 minutes or an hour to complete, and then go visit Brain FM and listen to the cool music while doing that digital task. Fourthly, make Brain FM your browser homepage that loads first thing when you turn your computer on. Try to spend the first 30 minutes of the day on the computer listening to a Brain FM track while focusing on getting important things done, which is a whole lot easier if you make it your browser homepage, because then it just pops up and you're like, oh, hey, you know, I'm gonna listen to this music, and then you're in more of the space uh, you got a little bit of Pavlovian conditioning going on there, and it'll make you a lot more productive. Fifthly, I'd recommend downloading Headspace or another meditation training app. After about twenty sessions of dual and back training, start by doing the ten-minute meditation sessions and do at least ten of them. Sixth. After a week or two, increase your meditation sessions to 15 to 20 minutes. This, it it makes a substantial difference in uh, benefits to mood and focus that you get out of meditation. Do your meditation while you're focused on smart drugs. It's pretty cool. Seven, buy a book you think you'd like to read. Commit to reading 30 to 60 minutes daily. Don't try to read it in the evening. Read it in the middle of the day while you're alert and awake. Read it while listening to Brain FM or some other relaxing music like classical or electronica. And then the final step is start writing daily for one hour if you can. After you've finished the book, perhaps you want to write about the book you just read. If your writing sucks, It's okay. If it takes you forever just to write a little, it's okay. You don't have to publish it. Don't worry about researching and citing in your writing. Just focus on your thoughts and feelings, uh, getting out. You're not writing for an audience. You're just writing for yourself. Depending upon your personality, the best time to write is either first thing in the morning or late in the evening. Try both and see what works best for You, of course, doing your writing on smart drugs while listening to your brain, FM, is probably best. Try writing on a computer and also try writing the old-fashioned way with a pen and notebook. A lot of people say that doing it the old-fashioned way is a whole lot uh, better for them. And so, ideally, your working memory exercise routine would go like this. You'd have like 10 minutes of dual NBEC training, 20 minutes of meditating, 30 minutes of reading, 60 minutes of writing. So let's talk about the time commitment there. You may be thinking, holy crap, Jonathan, I don't have two hours a day to spend doing these working memory exercises. And here's what I'll say. The first three, three—dual and Beck, meditation and reading, are the most important. And I'm not suggesting that you do these every day forever. I suggest doing them for an intensive period of like five to six days a week for a month or two. This will reinvigorate your working memory that has atrophied thanks to the internet. The research on dual NBAC indicates that it creates long-term changes in your brain structure after just a month of consistent usage. Let's talk about memory here doing at least the first three life hacks will take about an hour a day and will powerfully exercise your working memory. Quote, one particular type of short-term memory called working memory plays an instrumental role in the transfer of information into long-term memory and hence in the creation of our personal store of knowledge. Working memory forms in a very real sense the contents of our consciousness in any given moment. We're conscious of what is in working memory and not conscious of anything else, which in turn your, so your your working memory, your short-term memory, in turn makes your long-term memory all the more effective. Quote, how exactly does the brain transform fleeting short-term memories, such as the ones that enter and exit our working memory in every waking moment into the long-term memories that can last a lifetime. The information flowing into our working memory at any given moment is called our cognitive load. When the load exceeds our mind's ability to store and process the information, when the water overflows the thimble, we're unable to retain the information or to draw connections with the information already stored in our long-term memory. Once we bring an explicit long-term memory back into working memory, it becomes a short-term memory again. When we reconsolidate it, it gains a new set of connections, a new context. And there's an interesting software called SuperMemo that seems to directly address the issue of mediocre consolidation and reconsolidation of long-term memory that is all too common in our era of distraction. SuperMemo has a very clever algorithm that learns when you're likely to forget something and prompts you to practice it just before then. The best application I found for this is learning foreign language vocabulary. The SuperMemo language learning smartphone apps certainly helped me to master Spanish. If you want to exercise your long-term memory and are interested in learning a foreign language, uh, it's a pretty good option. Let's talk about reading comprehension. One of the points the book drives home is that reading comprehension is worse when we read from hypertext web pages than from reading an old-fashioned book. Something I was quite dismayed to read because my livelihood is trying to educate people with my writing that appears almost exclusively on the web. If you like to read articles, to educate yourself, I encourage you to read my articles on Medium.com using the Medium app, actually. And here's why. <laughs> well, first of all, you want to avoid the front page of Media Medium.com. They do a really terrible job of curating the front page content. They feature, I, I recommend that you just bookmark my profile on Medium. .com and check that out. Thankfully, though, their website has no annoying banner ads or uh, any ads of any kind that I can tell. Uh, although they kind of have an awkward monetization scheme that their users seem to be uh, resisting. Despite these issues, Medium is truly a low medium.com is truly a low distraction environment for reading. Their smartphone app even has a black background feature for reading at night that I really like. So check that out. Let's talk about decision making. A decision making life hack that's yielded me much profit and pleasure when facing a difficult decision is number one, consider all evidence. Get a second or third opinion. Number two, take a break from thinking about the decision do some meditation go for a walk sleep on it take a vacation whatever then finally after hours or days return to the decision and just go with your gut instinct unfortunately the internet's distraction factor sabotages this life hack blunting our working memory capacity to transfer the decision-making to the wiser faculty of our unconscious mind. Quote, as most of us know from experience, if we concentrate too intensely on a tough problem, we get stuck in a mental rut. Our thinking narrows and we struggle vainly to come up with new ideas. But if we let the problem sit unattended for a time, if we sleep on it, we often return to it with a fresh perspective and a burst of creativity. Research from Ap, just, just uh, a guy with a difficult to pronounce name, a Dutch psychologist who heads the unconscious lab at the Radboud University in Nijmegen, in uh, Holland I assume, indicates that such breaks in our attention give our unconscious mind time to grapple with a problem, bringing to bear information and cognitive processes unavailable to conscious deliberation. We usually make better decisions his experiment reveal if we shift our attention away from a difficult mental challenge for a time. But his work also shows that our unconscious thought processes don't engage with a problem until we've clearly and consciously defined the problem. If we don't have a particular intellectual goal in mind, he writes, unconscious thought does not occur. This is why often before taking a break to do my mindfulness exercise, I will I will kind of try to load up my working memory with everything that I want to figure out. So th- this is how this kind of goes is I'll spend like my morning or I'll spend like the early afternoon working on some task. Who knows? It could be researching an article. It could be doing Web development so I'm kind of focused on like like a like a, a project and then I'm gonna do my meditation and I want for my unconscious mind to uh, work on uh, whatever I need to figure out uh, at that time so what I'll do is I'll take I'll, I'll spend about 30 seconds just looking through my Gmail account. Or of my email or I'll look through my Evernote because I have in my Evernote like hundreds of different notes of different projects and to-dos and reminders and things like that, just like 30 seconds. That's it though. And then I lay down to do my meditation and my breathing exercises. And a lot of times I'll find that about 15 minutes into my meditation session, I'll start having some pretty clever solutions to the problems du jour just kind of bubbling up out of my unconscious and this works especially if I've supplemented some nicotine. Moving on, let's talk about multitasking on the web. Navigating the web requires a particularly intensive form of mental multitasking. In addition to flooding our working memory with information, the juggling imposes what brain scientists call switching costs on cognition every time we shift our attention. Our brain has to reorient itself, further taxing our mental resources. The philosopher Seneca May have put it best 2000 years ago when he said, To be everywhere is to be nowhere. Intensive multitaskers are suckers for irrelevancy. I use BrainFM to avoid multitasking, it works pretty good. You'll be amazed what you can accomplish in one to three hours while you're not multitasking. Let's talk now about video games. Interestingly, video games may counter what the internet does to our focus abilities. An engrossing video game compels you to focus intensely for hours on slaying monsters or fighting battles in space or whatever. Quote, The authors of the study concluded that although video game playing may be rather mindless, it is capable of radically altering visual attentional processing. And in the past, I thought video games were really kind of like just a childish waste of time. But actually, I've I've recently been kind of uh, encouraged to to maybe look at video games again. I was in a forum discussion on longevity, and I was I was asking some people in longevity. What are, what are like some biohacks that are kind of like biohacks that don't get discussed a whole lot? And there was, I think, a Swedish guy on there who said, video games, I love video games, and video games improve your cognition, video games improve your working memory, video games improve your long-term memory, video games improve your focus. And at first I was like, okay, man, I, I, I think, you know, I, I think you're maybe... You, deluding yourself just a little bit and looking for excuses to indulge a quite childish uh, hobby that you have. But he responded and he kind of, you know made a pretty good argument of why he thought video games were actually kind of a, kind of a, a biohack for the mind. And so I did a bit of research on this, and I found I found a debate uh, that was done, a formal Oxford style debate that was done by IQ squared, and the debate was called video games will make us smarter. And they had two different teams debating uh, two different sides of this. They had two people that de- that were debating that yes, video games actually do make us smarter. They actually make our minds uh, sharper in a lot of different dimensions that matter to like biohackers or entrepreneurs or high performance kind of people. And then there was, of course, a team opposing them that was saying that, video games are bad for us. And I'll encourage you to actually watch that debate yourself if you're at all interested in video games. Um, Here's my view on it. There does seem to actually be pretty good evidence that because video games stimulate so much focus and they stimulate uh, problem solving, they stimulate uh, audio-visual alertness, that they, that they are good for our brains in quite a few of those dimensions. But there's also uh, a significant problem with uh, video game addiction with these people that instead of having a, building a real life for themselves, they build a digital life for themselves, which is ultimately quite bad. But I would, uh, I would venture that this is maybe kind of an area where if you have quite good Discipline. if you have quite good self-control, if you're a person that doesn't have like a major problem or a a history of uh, mental health issues or addiction issues, that you you could actually probably uh, play video games for like a couple hours a week and be quite entertained. And uh, it would actually probably do some good for your mind and actually kind of work against some of the negative effects on your mind that, the internet has, so you know, hey, that's that's kind of uh, good news, right? Maybe maybe I'll start a, a limitless uh, a limitless gaming uh, syndicate or something like it. Who knows? Anyways, getting back to the book, so I rated this book four stars on Amazon. Here's why I didn't give it five stars because it's just a critique of the technological absurdistan that is modernity. I like books that are critical and constructive. The Shallows kind of just leaves the reader with no useful suggestions for protecting their minds against the damage that the internet does. Now, I, I hate to dissuade you from reading this book because it's a pretty good book. But if you're willing to accept that the internet takes a high toll on your mind, you really don't need to read this one. You just need to habituate the working memory exercises that I detailed above. Now you'll recall what I said in the little video blog that I made in that cool little library wearing my fancy jacket. I said that the the internet is making everybody stupid and that's a good thing and i'll explain what ex- I'll, ex- I'll explain what exactly i mean by that so the shallows predicts an inevitable devolution of the mind and here's my sentiment about that the internet is slowly insidiously making the whole world retarded and i say good which sounds crazy but here's why i don't care about the whole world Yes, really. Here's why. A certain recipe for unhappiness and dysfunction is to care about people more than they care about themselves. And collectively, the world is choosing to indulge this vice to its own downfall. It's so blatantly obvious that the internet is bad for our minds, yet only a tiny proportion of the population cares to do something about it. And secondly, I have a rational in-group preference for my tribe, for those who share my values and support me. I want to see my tribe excel and be successful, even if it's at the expense of others. And my tribe is biohackers who are the only people that will be uh, smart enough and will employ the strategies and technologies I outline above for protecting their minds from the deleterious effects of the internet. If you've spent... Okay, <laughs> so that's, that's why I'm going to go even a little bit deeper down a, a tantalizing rabbit hole here. If you've spent as much time on the internet as I have, you've certainly, incur- you, you've certainly encountered, stumbled upon some fringy conspiracy theories about the Jews, how the Jews are evil and they run the world. Now, I certainly don't think the Jews are evil, but there's a quantum of veracity to these conspiracy theories. Jews are disproportionately are uh, proportionately quite influential couple of examples oranges, lemons oranges, (laughs) lemons what? the juices? yeah the orange juices? oh my gosh oh my gosh I know what you're talking about of course you're hilarious okay (laughs) the orange juice the apple juices the juice are out to get us they're in our refrigerators they're sneaking into all our cups you can't you can't have a cocktail without the Jews they're coming for you okay they're influential uh, they're they're proportionately quite influential for example twenty seven percent of the students at yale university are jewish yet Jews only account for 2% of that the United States population. Basis. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's we, what it means. We need to make a serious conspiracy theory video about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. 27% of the students at Yale University are Jewish, yet Jews only account for about 2% of the United States population. And there's only about 15 million Jews total, less than 1% of the total world population. Yet they yield tremendous influence in elite positions in finance, media, entertainment, technology, politics, and science. They are a remarkably accomplished race. And there's three simple reasons for this. First of all, Jews have a higher than average intelligence. The average IQ in the United States is around 100, whereas the average American Jew has an IQ of 110 to 115. They have higher verbal intelligence. This is why so many Jews are successful attorneys, writers, or public intellectuals. And thirdly, Jews practice rational in-group preference. Ask your Jewish friend, and if they're being honest, they will confirm these three things. I predict that as the internet dumbs down the whole world, biohackers will become an increasingly dominant elite class, because firstly, biohacking markedly increases intelligence, especially Verbal intelligence, which is improved most notably by cognitive enhancers like paracetam. And thirdly, biohackers can and should practice in-group preference with other biohackers. It's it's a pretty good tribe. If you've ever felt tribe less, if you've ever felt that uh, uh, tribalism is a, a meaningful thing from our, a meaningful part of our uh evolutionary biology that we ignore and suppress to our own chagrin, then there's a good tribe for you, biohackers. Uh, Okay, so this is good, especially for biohackers, but in the long term, it will also be good for the world in general because the current elites running the world, in my opinion, they're doing a pretty terrible job. We can and should aim to supplant them. If you'd like to practice in group preference with other biohackers, well, I've got a secret society for you to join. It's called the Limitless Mindset Secret Society. And if you invest at least $100 in your own mind via some credible, high-quality, high-value sources of nootropics and biohacking products, some of the stuff that I've been talking about in this podcast... If if you uh, invest at least a hundred bucks in that, uh, what you do is you get a uh, biohacking consultation with me, along with an invite to our exclusive biohacker community. If not, I, I wish you the the uh, best of luck. You know, again, uh, I'll I'll draw your attention one final time in this podcast to the analogy to a a heroin addiction. It's really, quite, uh, it's really quite a parallel, destructive, addictive, compelling uh, thing that we impulsively use that has a bad short-term effect on our mind and a bad long-term effect on our mind. I guess where the analogy to heroin breaks down is that heroin doesn't do a whole lot of good for you. Whereas the internet can do tremendous good for you. The internet can enable your career, your personal development. It can enable you to uh, find and cultivate really great relationships, to stay in touch with people, to learn things, to uh, transform into the kind of person that you always wanted to be. It's, it, it can be a tremendous force for good in your life. Or it can be like heroin. You get to decide. Again, I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and as always, I look forward to a continued conversation with you. Legal notices. If you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at LimitlessMindset.com So we can mention them in the show notes Or provide a backlink We want to give credit where credit is due As a listener to the Limitless Mindset Podcast We hope you have and practice common sense However, since some of the content covered in this show Deals with subjects of a health, legal, or business nature This show is for entertainment purposes. If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com.